0: just a little bit and um, build a little bit of a doctrinal basis and go from there. If you're new to our fellowship, certainly if you're a visitor and some are here today, in a day in which doctrine is kind of becoming diminished in the body of Christ in the Western community, we have determined within ourselves to not be a part of that number. We've determined that it's our responsibility to grow in godliness, grow in knowledge. That's what the scripture says, add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge. And so we want to look to the scriptures. Thank God for his word today. Thank God for the living word of God that's illuminated and reveals to us the heart of who God is. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 4 is known as the Shema to the Hebrews. And it is the prayer that almost all prayer is prayed by Hebrew Men all the way back to the beginning of Judaism, perhaps even beyond Judaism, going back to the days of the prophets, where it was captured by Moses, if it's in the book of Deuteronomy, as final instruction for Israel as they were about to enter into Canaan's land. And it's spoken even to this very day. If you get around a Jewish man or woman at his time or her time of prayer, they will begin their prayer with Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord thy God is one Lord. What a powerful verse of Scripture. Hear, o Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Now, when you look at that verse of Scripture, there's two different ways when you think about not only the beginning part of it, which is identifying the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, the God of Abraham, that was being revealed to the Hebrew people, at Mount Sinai and then beyond at the giving of the instruction with Deuteronomy, but we also, also contemplate the, uh, the word one. What does that mean? It is one Lord. Well, Hebrew scholars tell us that it is numerical in one sense, but it is also in, uh, one in the sense of purpose and unity. And that begins to lead us into just a little bit of revelation of this God of Israel. That this God of Israel, why, in the number for just a moment, why would that be mentioned one? Well, certainly man, since he's been driven eastward out of a garden called Eden, was unable to know and commune with the God of Adam. When God drove Adam and Eve, there was a separation from that personal communion and fellowship. If you read the book of Genesis, you'll discover that the Bible plainly says that the Lord God would come down in the cool of the day and walk in the midst of the garden alongside of Adam and Eve, and the three had fellowship with each other, that God communed and fellowship with His creation, but when sin entered the picture, there was a severance of that fellowship, a severance of that communion, and suddenly this omnipotent God uh, again became to a degree invisible to us in this in this natural world he would be seen by the things that were made but we wouldn't have that personal fellowship and communion but at the same time every person i believe born of adam would act, or born of eve through adam would actually have a craving desire to know god would worship there's something in us as the creation that wants to know the creator and unfortunately this is where idolatry has plagued mankind Because God's eternal attributes are often clearly seen in the creation, then man, because of his carnal mind, attempts to scope a part of creation, put it on a pedestal, and call it God. Now, in one sense, there's a sincerity there. There's something in his heart that wants to worship. In the other sense, there's a deception there because we think that we can define the invisible God through a piece of matter that we would call his creation, and then then we, through deception, would call that the creator. And so let me just take for a moment of time. At that moment, Israel's being instructed. There are uh, many gods, G-O-D, little G-O-D. There are many gods. But to Israel, they were being instructed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Thank God today. Yet at the same time, at the same time, we can can honestly say that even with that revelation, mankind did not have the clearest revelation of this God that we today want to know and have intimate fellowship and communion with. Does that make sense today? Now, in the context of God is this word that we find in Scripture called Godhead. Now, the word Godhead, and I read from the authorized, sanctified, holy version of the Bible, the King James Version. Now, whatever you use, I don't know, but I use the King James Version. The word Godhead appears three times, and it simply means the divine, the divine or the divine nature. With that, we might say the Godhead. So if we are describing what we call the being of God, then you and I might say, we might say he is a triune God. A triune godhead. Where does this come? Well, First John five and seven, beloved apostle John, who pillowed his head on the bosom of Christ at the at the famous Passover meal. The Scripture says that he writes that there are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say Ghost again, that's pneuma in the Greek. It's spirit, same word. We use it interchangeably. Holy Ghost. So there are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word who is the Word, we'll talk about that in a moment, and the Spirit, and these three agree as in one. These three are in one. So for us here today, we can say that we're not worshiping a plurality of gods. We're worshiping one God who is eternally existent and known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, others simply use the word Trinity. It's meaning the same thing. I say triune Godhead. Others say Trinity. It's the same context. Now, where am I going with this? Well, there's a mysterious element as pertaining to God. Here's the truth. A measure has been revealed, and you and I have got to look at what we do know and what we can know, but we've also got to wait for greater revelation in the consummation of all time because I don't. I don't care how many creeds there are. I don't care how many volumes of books that can be written. We will never, on this side of eternity, be able to say that we have figured God out entirely. That we can write a book deep enough in content or wide enough in the number of pages to be able to say, I can fully and adequately describe to you God. But I want you to know today that there is a God that has chosen to reveal himself to you. And we don't have to be intimidated and draw back because we can't know everything that there is to know about God. But what we can say is, God, the part that you want to reveal to me, that's what I want to know about. And I want to know him today, don't you? I want to know him in personal communion and fellowship. The scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It's a familiar passage of scripture. And we put that and correspond that with John chapter number one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You put those together and you see again the triune nature of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed to us. All throughout the Word of God, we have clarification. But at the same time, there will always be questions related to the unity and the unison of the Godhead, the distinctions and the divisions of the triune Godhead. We can ask, how does this unity and this distinction appear or exist now as also prior to the creation of the world and in the consummation of time? And we may say, well, you know what, there are some things I just have to accept that I'm not going to fully be able to understand all the dynamics of it. But at the same time, I can fully run towards it and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you as fully and as readily as you are willing to reveal yourself to me. Let me give you an example of this real quickly. In the Assemblies of God, we're called a Trinitarian Fellowship. Let me take you into the history of the Assemblies of God. I want to build up a little point real quickly because there's a lot of good books on this subject. But I want to say this. Sometimes theologians do a great job of confusing us more than when we sat down to read their book. But in the Assemblies of God, 1916, was a pivotal moment in the history of the fellowship. At that particular time, a particular group within the fellowship called Oneness emerged. And it was based upon a, what was believed was a belief that the Godhead was bound bodily to the person of Jesus Christ, both in eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. In essence, not necessarily triune in the nature of God, but rather three manifestations of God, and it created a contention that became so great it drove the, the what they call the fledging fellowship to a general council to uh, arrive at a conclusion to be able to address this issue. The result uh, of the uh, of the resolutions that came forth out of that council split the fellowship 156 ministers were lost on that particular day and it led to later the beginning of the United Pentecostal Church of oneness theology I'm not here to throw stones at theologically I'm going to, at either camp I'm going to simply though arrive and, and share with you what the assemblies of God brought us because I love it now listen I don't like to read a lot of doctrinal statements but let me just if you are a member of the Assemblies of God then what we say is we adhere to the 16 fundamental Truths of the assemblies of God, and the second one is the Godhead. And I want to just mention, I want to read to you just real quickly. The one true God, the Bible, or not the Bible? It's almost like the Bible here. This is. Uh, let me just read it to you, and don't get bored with me on this just yet. But I want you to stay with me because this is taking us on our journey. The one true God has revealed Himself as the eternally self-existent I Am. He's the Creator of heaven and of earth. He's the Redeemer of mankind. It has further revealed himself, he has further revealed himself as embodying the principles of relationship associated as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And under the title, The Adorable Godhead, here's terms defined. The terms Trinity and persons as related to the Godhead while not found in the Scriptures are words in harmony with Scripture. Did y'all hear that? So as you say, Pastor, I want to show me where this Trinity is at. Well, you won't find the word there but we believe that it's in harmony with the principles that are taught in Scripture. So whereby we may convey to others our immediate understanding of the doctrine of Christ, respecting the being of God as distinguished from God's many and Lord's many. So wherefore we may speak with propriety of the Lord our God, who is one Lord as a trinity or as one being of three persons and still be absolutely scriptural. Let me go a little bit farther. I know that you hadn't caught that just yet, but that's okay. Stay with me. There is a distinction in the relationship in the Godhead, and I've always appreciated this one. He said Christ taught a distinction of persons in the Godhead, which he expressed in specific terms of relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But listen to this. But to this distinction and relationship, as it's to its mode, it is inscrutable and incomprehensible because it is unexplained. And so these men concluded that there is an element related to the triune nature of God and His interaction with man that they're saying is inscrutable because it's unexplained in the Scriptures. Because you're going to struggle always to be able to fully defend the the doctrine of the triune nature of God by saying, well, God's like an egg. He's got a shell, he's got a yolk, He's got a, a what is the other? Why? That's going to eventually fail. And, and, and oh, then you can take H2O. you can use that analogy. Ultimately, there's going to come a moment in your own Christian faith when you have to simply say, I stand here today and I know what I believe based upon, not an egg, and not water, but first John five and seven said, "There are three that bear record in heaven: Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And I believe today, here, O Israel, the Lord, thy God, is one Lord. He's eternally existent and three persons, and you and I can commune with him and know him because of his desire to reveal himself. Now, God, from that time in Genesis, in one sense, was hidden in the heavens. Man is searching for God in the earth. And that's how come that we understand that Mount Sinai and what happened on Mount Sinai was so important. Because at that moment, God came down and he revealed himself to a people. A mountain caught on fire, burned with the power of the glory of God. Thunderings and lightnings and a voice spoke out of it, the voice of God. That voice had not been heard since the Genesis when God had driven man eastward out of the garden called Eden. And now God was articulating his word to the people of Israel, confirming again that there was but one God. But let me say this. When you you follow the scriptures, you see that God is at that process starting to reveal himself to man. But in one sense, he's still hidden from man. Because he instructed them to erect a tabernacle. And the tabernacle would be a veil. Behind the veil would be a place called the ark. And on the ark was a covering called the mercy seat. And God said, that's where I'm going to sit. And so if you were a worshiper in ancient Israel, you couldn't commune with God face to face. You couldn't talk to God as a man talks to his friend, but you would worship through the atoning sacrifices. You would worship through priests and priesthood. So even though God was revealing himself, he was still hidden. And so God, in that, to the people of Israel, he began to reveal himself through his name. We preached about it. I preached about it several weeks ago. The compound names of God. Oftentimes, whenever there was something monumental that took place in the lives of the children of Israel associated with the power of God, the name of God, there would be something added to it. So let me give you an example. There was a great need. Uh, Abraham was on the mountain. He was called to offer a son in sacrifice. The Lord stopped his hand before the dagger could fall into the beating chest of Isaac. And the Lord spoke to him and told him not to offer a son, but rather Abraham lifted up his eyes. And when he did so, he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And he said, you know what? In the mount of the Lord, it's going to be provided. He is Jehovah-Jireh. He is my provider. And so you see that throughout the Word of God, that wherever God did some monumental deed in the lives of the children of Israel, often they would compound something to His name. And that would reveal a measure of who He was. And you and I, even to this day, we can still say, He is El Shaddai. He's the almighty God. You know what? I wasn't feeling good yesterday, but you know what my medicine was? I said, Lord, you're Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord who heals me. And on and on we can go. We sang it today. The Lord is my shepherd. You and I know him through his name and through communion, through the revelation that we have of who he is. But did you know under the old covenant that God did reveal that he was father to the children of Israel But they never knew him as father. They never really talked with him. They never, did you know that in the terms of father as it relates to ancient Israel and God, only 15 times is the word father in scripture bound to the communion of fellowship between Israel or, excuse me, Israel and God? They knew him as El Shaddai, they knew him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew him as Elohim. They knew him as Jehovah Jireh. They knew he was father, but they didn't know him as father. What was the shift that took place that began to unveil to us that within the triune nature of God is one who is known as father? Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. And so when God chose to reveal himself to us in a communion and a fellowship in a way that we had never seen before, God revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus, who is the Messiah. And when we began to follow the teachings of Jesus in the gospels alone, in the synoptic gospels, 65 times the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 65 times, Jesus does not refer to Yahweh God. He doesn't refer to the God of Abraham, but he says, Father. He says, My Father, as he prayed. But John the Beloved, who writes his gospel, records over 100 times that Jesus, in his conversing with God, did not pray a pious prayer. I come to you today in the name of the God of Abraham, Jehovah Jireh. In the Mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You are El Shaddai to us, as you were to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, he just simply lifted his eyes up and said, "Today, Father, I want to thank you that you know me, and I want to thank you that I can commune with you. I can thank you today that you saw me." And you, come on, somebody—he just—he had an intimate, personal relationship with this invisible. God that we think is only hid in the heavens on his throne somewhere and Jesus said I know him I was with him in the beginning and I've come to reveal him to you thank God today for the person of Jesus Christ let me go just a little bit farther we're going to get into this just a little bit and so today here I can say that in the triune nature of God Jesus now reveals to us the Father. This was continued in the Pauline epistles. Paul referred to God the Father over 40 times. This does not include the other epistles. What am I going to say about God today? God is spirit. God does not have sexual body parts. However, He has chosen to reveal Himself to you and I as Father God. And so there are a couple of places in Scripture that I want to draw your attention to. John 1 and 18, Jesus said, No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen Him. He said, But the only begotten Son, who is the bosom in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. John 7 and 28, Jesus said, He that sent me is true, whom you don't know. But Jesus said this, But I know Him. For I am from him, and he has sent me. Thank God today that Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. Here's the reality in our communion with and our fellowship with God. You and I are to know him as Father God today. Did you know that? That you and I, in the personal communion and relationship that we have with God, when we even approach God in prayer and worship? You know how we're to approach God? We're not to approach Him again through the, 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 the limited revelation of the old covenant. But we're to approach Him through the understanding that we have through the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Let me tell you an erroneous prayer to pray. I know we've all prayed it. But Jesus, take the wheel. It's not a biblical prayer. (laughs) And I know we've all prayed that. and We've prayed something akin to it. And I'm not saying that you were being unspiritual or unscriptural in that moment. I'm telling you, Jesus came to reveal to you the Father. So that you would have access to his presence. And be able to commune with him. And worship him. And fellowship with him. You and I know the Father through the Son. Let me say this, you cannot know the Father apart from the Son. 1 John 2 and 23 says, Whosoever denies the Son, the same hath not the Father. You know how I can openly and honestly tell you today that Islam is of the spirit of Antichrist? And I know that there's a billion people caught in this vice of deception because in the Quran it says, God hath no Son. But I put my faith... And the beloved Apostle John who pillowed his head on the Son of God's bosom and heard his heartbeat. And John said this, Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. First John 5 and 10, let me read it to you just real quickly. First John 5 and 10 says, If you believe on the Son of God, you have this witness in yourself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. Oh Jesus, did you hear that today? He that hath the life hath the, has the son, has the life. And this, he that hath not the son of God does not have life. Jesus came to reveal to you and I the Father. You say, Pastor Brown, I want show me the Father. Did you know Jesus, his own disciples, asked that question of him one day? Because he used this term so openly in his communion and fellowship with God. It was Philip, his disciple. He said, Lord, would you show us the Father? If you show us the Father, it will suffice us. Jesus said, he that hath well, actually, he corrected him first. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you? And yet thou hast not known me, because he that has seen me has seen the Father, because I and my Father are one. Believe not that I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. Jesus said, if you won't believe for my word's sake, believe because of my work's sake. Because he said, I've done works unlike anybody that's ever been done since the creation of the world. And he did those things that you might believe, that you might believe that God sent the Father, or the Father sent the Son to this earth to reveal the Father to us and to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's a scripture that I love today. I just love this one. It's found at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. And I love it because of the, uh, I know it is antiquated language. It is the, they call it the Elizabethan language of the time of the of the writing of the King James Bible. But it says, <laughs> God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in times past by the prophets. What does that mean, Pastor Brown? I need an interpretation. That meant that God, here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. God at sundry times and many times. And in different ways, spoken to us in the past by the prophets. So that meant that when the prophet spoke, he was inspired by the Spirit of God to speak an oracle based upon the unction of God to reveal to us just a little glimpse of the person of God. That's what he did. And that's what the writer said. At times past, God spoke to us by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Listen to this, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let me go back and pick that up again. He is the brightness of his glory and he's the express image of his person. I believe it is totally biblical and in harmony with the teachings of Jesus that you're seated here today and you say, Pastor Brown, I want to see the Father. I want to know the Father. The Father has not revealed his silhouette. The Father has not revealed it whether he is tall or short, whether he has a body or not. Jesus himself said, You have not seen his figure. But you can say this with a clear conscience if you want to see the Father, then you look to the Son. Oh, Jesus, did you hear that today? You say, Pastor Brown, what are you saying? But I'm saying if you want to see the Father and His love, His kindness, His compassion, His mercy, how much He loved you, how much that He was willing to shroud Himself with flesh and blood and die on a cross so that you could have life and know the Father, then you look to Jesus who is the Son. Thank God today for Jesus. Thank God that He came to reveal to us His Father so we could have communion and fellowship. You know what I am today? I'm going to go ahead and go out. I've said it many times from this point. I'm a bona fide Jesus freak in this house today. I thank God for Jesus because I wouldn't know the Father. He was Elohim, the creator to me. He was hidden in the heavens and I didn't know Him but He came and revealed Himself in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And so I can read the Word of God and I can walk with Him and talk with Him I can hear His voice and I can be like John. I can pillow my own head on His bosom and I can hear His heartbeat revealing to me His will and His purpose for my life. I can hear His words echo into my spirit saying, come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I can hear Him through His miracles, through His word, through His teaching and through His affection for me. Thank God for Jesus today. John said, John said, Our eyes have seen, our hands have handled, the word of life. John said, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three agree in one. I can say with great clarity to you today, Jesus Christ came to reveal to you the Father, so that you might know Him intimately in communion and fellowship. That God would not just simply be a distant deity in the cosmos somewhere, and you are a foreign creator, creation far from His presence, His power and His glory. But God, through the person of Christ, has revealed to us the Father so that we could commune with Him in intimacy and deep fellowship. Jesus said that I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open unto me, listen to what He said. He said, I and my Father will come in, and we will sit down, and we will sup with Him. We'll have communion and fellowship. And then all of a sudden, let me tell you, everything about what you were created to be and who you were created to be will begin to awaken inside of you because you will realize you are not here by accident, but your Father loved you. He planned for you, and He's welcoming you into His family. Glory to God today. Amen, church family. Thank God today that we can know Him. Now, I know there's a very term of endearment that we find in the Word of God associated with the Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And as a result, it shows to us that we can have a communion with God. Far deeper than just a religious, pious approach to God. That we can simply commune with Him based upon He sent His Spirit into our hearts. Now I've got to go out with a barrage here in a moment. I'm going to go through a couple of passages to reaffirm a couple of principles today. Is that okay? Are you all with me out there in radio and land today? Aren't you grateful to be in the house of God today? Let's read a few more verses of Scripture. I just love thinking about the Father. I've been so excited to share this word with you today, and I know that I probably lack the full ability to be able to convey it because who am I? Who am I to stand up here and try to describe to you the wonderful attributes of this awesome God other than to say, look to his son. Because if you'll see him, then you can see the father. Because he came to reveal the father to you. So that you could know. You could watch him. You could pattern his life. You could see the intimacy of his fellowship. And then you can arrive at the conclusion that you too can have communion with the father. Through the life of the son. Let me give you a few other scriptures. John chapter number 17. I want to read this. The gospel of John chapter Number 17, just a few verses. I want to go ahead and just read these real quickly today, and then I'm gonna go out with the barrage. What do you mean by that? I'll show you in a moment. John chapter number 17, verses 1 through 5. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes. And he said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many. As thou hast given him. And this is a life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God. Hear O Israel. The Lord thy God. Is one Lord. Jesus is praying the same prayer. The prayer of the Shema. He's saying Lord. That they might know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Verses 24 through 26, same chapter, let's read it real quickly. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father. Do you see that personal communion that Jesus has with the Father? Do you not feel that? I feel that in my spirit today. O righteous Father. Let's read it. The world has not known thee. But I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name And I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. He's talking about us today. He's talking about the disciples and the listening audience and all who would believe on Christ through their word. Jesus said, I want you to have communion with my Father. Doesn't he today? I want to know him. And so today let me go ahead and kind of conclude. And I knew I wouldn't finish this message, but I'm going to go ahead. I may come back to it, who knows. But I know one thing. I know one thing. I know the Father today. And I want you to know the Father. And I want you to have the peace that the Father gives. Pastor, what do you mean you go out with the barrage? Well, I'm going to go ahead. What about the Father then? What about the Father? There's some verses of Scripture. they got to go with me fast and quickly, but I'm going to give them to you in closing today. Number one, what about the Father? Let me just say this. Number one, the Father loves you. Can I say that today? Don't you walk out of here and think for a moment of time that God does not love you. God loves you. Jesus himself in John 16 and 27 says the the Father loves you. He loves you. Did you hear that today? The world's most famous scripture, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you, you know that you're loved today. The Father loves you. Number two, the Father has adopted you. Galatians chapter number 4 says that we've been adopted. We've been adopted. Romans 8 and 5 is fine. For you have not received the spirit of, of bondage. You've received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let's tie that together with the next, the next one. The Father sent his spirit into your heart, joining with your spirit. In Galatians four, it repeats that what was almost said in verse number six. Especially, turn it one last time. Let's look at that verse six of Galatians four. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. What? Did you look at that today with me right there? Matter of fact, it could all hang hinge right there on this particular moment right here. All the revelation, all the doctrine is not has no value in your life until there is a quickening inside you by the Holy Spirit that's bringing in to you the adoption. What is that quickening? It's when God breathes into your spirit, the spirit of God, and you are born again. And in this passage of Scripture here, the Bible plainly says God, that invisible God that was hid in the heavens, that when you believe in His Son, He will send the spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into your hearts, and immediately there will be an intimacy and a communion. And you won't come up out of that moment and say, "Oh, great Elohim, or El Shaddai, but you'll lift up holy hands because there will be an intimacy inside you and you'll say, I'm a child of God, and I cry out, Abba, Father. And I know you as my loving, eternal Father. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's not a work of doctrine. That's a work of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer today. So that's how come you can put us in prison. And you can take away our Bibles. And you can put us in darkness until we pass and fade into eternity. But there's one thing that you cannot do. You cannot go into my heart and pull the Spirit of God outside of me because God has sent it into my heart and declared me to be a child of Almighty God. And I can live every day of my life knowing that I'm loved of my Father. And I know preaching gets good when you start spitting like this. There's a reason why we kept those seats about 12 foot off of the platform. You say, Pastor, preachers don't preach like that anymore. Well, maybe they don't know what I know. Maybe they don't have the joy that I have because I'm in communion and fellowship with the Father. Let me go back to the barrage. He offers fellowship with you, 1 John 5. John said, our fellowship is with the Father. Our communion is with the Father. Number five, this is the barrage. I told him it would have to happen quickly. He instructs you to pray to him in faith. I love this. Time won't allow me. I know I'm right at noon, but let me go and say this. Jesus said, in that day, don't ask me anything. That's why I'm saying that very respectfully. Jesus, take the wheel. It's not the prayer of faith. But Jesus said this, ask the Father in my name. Because the Father loves you. And you have fellowship and communion with the Father. And if you'll ask the Father in my name, Jesus said, I'll do it. That the Father might be glorified in the Son. Number six, God wants you to trust Him in all things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways do what? Acknowledge Him. You say, Pastor, that said Lord, not Father. Well, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father heart of God says, Trust me in all things. Don't lean upon yourself, your own understanding, but lean upon God and the love of God revealed as a father. Number seven, he gives peace and comfort. I can't read that. It takes too long. God will give you peace and comfort in all your afflictions. 2 Corinthians 3 said, in all your afflictions, did you know one of the most humbling and the most... Hmm. perhaps impacting moments that I can ever make as a pastor is not a sermon. It took a long time for me to learn that. But I've learned that as a pastor, I'm a spiritual father. And I've had to adapt to that. And whenever somebody's in crisis, and I've learned that if I can just get close to them for just a minute... And I can put a hand and an arm and a shoulder and a hug. That in that moment, that's like a child being comforted by a father. How much more does your heavenly father shroud you in his great glory, carry you in his strong arms, and keep you during the most difficult days of your life? He comforts those. Number eight. Oh, I preached this at the funeral on Friday. I'll be preaching another funeral this week. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in your father's house, there are many mansions. Let me tell you today, God's prepared a place for you. You know, one of the greatest joys of me and Sherry in this temporal life is when our kids come home. My every parent, grandparent, I didn't say to stay, but when they come home to visit... That's why I'm, 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 I'm not, I can't be measured against the eternal father. He wants us to come and stay. I just wanted to show up for a little while. <laughs> but at the same time, what a personal and an impacting moment that is that when your children come back to your house. That's just a little glimpse of what the heartbeat of God is like. Listen, let me tell you, this life is not all that there is. This life is but a wisp of smoke. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But God loves you so much, he's prepared a place for you. A place, an eternal dwelling in the presence of God. Thank God for that today. Number nine, he cares for you and your needs. I say that. Two more and I'm closed. This is it. One more after this one. What do you mean by that? Remember what Jesus said? He said, said, don't be worried about all these things that the Gentiles seek after. For your Father already knows everything that you have need of. Your Father already knows. God cares for you today. Don't fret it. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about it. Let God handle it. Did you hear me today? Let God trust the Lord. Lean upon him. God said that if you will seek me, the Father said if you will seek the Father, Jesus said if you will seek the Father in his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Does that make sense today? Don't worry and carry the weight of those on you. The Father, it's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And lastly today, concluding the barrage, Matthew 5 and 16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What does that mean, Pastor? Number 10, God wants you to share His love with others. The Father wants you to... To reveal his love to others. By living your life to the glory of God. And showing kindness and compassion. Come on somebody. And witnessing in his name. And as you do so other people can see and come to know your father. And that's why I titled this message today. I want you to know my father. I mean that today. I want you to know him. I want you to have fellowship with him communion with him. Aaron, would you come back with me today as we close today? Thank God for Jesus who came to reveal to us, are y'all with me today? The Father. The Father.